This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. sound effects ever and landing here on the cusp of 1977 and 78 musically speaking there's a whole thing going on and some of it's quite nasty and some of the people who are in this episode have already established their beachhead as far as being part of the punk rock movement and establishing punk rock in america and abroad that is true and we've talked about some of these musicians that are going to appear whether it be in mention or in a little bit more detail many of these people that we are talking about have come up already in previous episodes which shows you how all of these branches are really closely related and tied together and how so many of these bands especially from this time period really are also associated and tied together and really did a lot of interaction and as a group all being different had an impact on the direction of alternative or new wave or post-punk or goth or any of those types of music that you want to label them but this time period really made a difference in the direction of music and we'll talk about this on the rock and roll end too because some of the rock and roll music of this end ended up changing the direction in the 80s as well with metal and hair etc but getting back to this stuff we're hold uh, on just breathe hold I, on i'm too excited <laughs> He's Marcus in the Darkest. I'm Ray Coob. This is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And yes, it is going to be a Geek Boy Festival on both of our parts today. Oh my God. Uh, and it's brought to you, as always, by the gang at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014, and by One CBD. Check them out at onecbd.com. Well, Marcus, by 1978, the charts were being dominated by pop music, 
You had a lot of disco and old school rock. They were the three main things that were hitting the charts and dominating maybe not as much airplay, but certainly in sales, okay? Through 78 and into 1979, there was a, not a new wave, but a next wave. Because the new wave sound that is what we've come to know it as would be coming in not that far away in the early 80s. But the next wave continued the punk rock explosion and became a force to be reckoned with on its own with new artists that were emerging from all over not just this place or that just new artists emerging all over and artists that already had been out and putting out great rock and roll and different kind of rock and roll some of it punk rock per se were changing and continuing to release records and that's the thrust of the next wave the next volley if you will of punk rock here on the imbalance history so you want to dive in or, or you're already wet and you need a towel I think yeah, right? I'm I'm definitely needing a towel, and we're going to have to have multiple towels on the sidelines because we're going to get soaking wet on this one. Now, Can the research departments get us some towels quick to Marcus? The Cabana Boys. Come on, Cabana Boys. Get those over here now. In all seriousness, though, weren't you playing a lot, why? A lot of this? Why be serious? Seriously, okay. why be serious? Seriously, I know. Seriously. A lot of this music that was part of this next wave was being played on the college radio stations at that hey, time. Hey period and you were playing a lot of this stuff in the college radio world and that meant that myself and my friends would hear it from older brothers and sisters of these kids who would pass it down to their younger brothers and sisters and that's how we would get a hold of it. One sure. of the cool things about college radio is that it was on a college campus and it was broadcast in the college town may not go very far beyond the local area but high school kids and young kids were listening to the college stations too and learning about all this music that wasn't yet on the big rock station or the big pop station in town. That's true. It's kind of like how the in the 60s and 50s, the musicians were listening to the radio station south of the border playing the jazz and the blues and the soul yeah. and things like that. So it's that kind of thing. But college radio for the alternative and the punk where mainstream radio had not fully embraced a lot of this music. There had to be an outlet for it. And that outlet was college radio. You look at the music that we're talking about here and I've got my little list here so I'm going to start with Devo who deliver Are We Not Men? A. We Are Devo and the songs on there including Jocko Homo from which they get their name and Uncontrollable Urge are some of the best things I heard that year. Their performance on Saturday Night Live doing the Stones cover I Can't Get No Satisfaction made me go what? and really made me think there's other things going on that I need to look into. The Ramones deliver their fourth record, Road to Ruin, deliver the classic I Want to Be Sedated, sure, but they also covered a Sonny Bono song, Needles and Pins. <laughs> That's just crazy, but it shows you their love of rock and roll. I mean, yeah. I've called them kind of doo-wop on speed in a sort of way, which they are kind of an electric doo-wop on speed in some ways. I see it, yeah. And I'm, no, I'm glad you meant... And I'm, We're glue. <laughs> True. I just want to sniff some glue. I don't know what to do. Devo, I think, was is a great place to start because Brian Eno produced that first record. They had a lot of problems with Brian Eno as far as how they didn't want to do what he saw. They wanted to do what they saw. David Bowie was involved in it. Iggy Pop wanted to be a part of it. All of those three and Robert Fripp all vied to produce that first album after hearing their demo. Plus, you have a double 
whammy sibling rivalry in that band. Two sets of brothers. And I don't really, well, maybe we should look into them at some point just about that. Oh, yeah. But real sibling really rivalries. Heard, but I never heard that there was that, right? You got like, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys within the band, you know? So anyway, they became really at first a kind of a quirky thing and then really established themselves as a band and as an artist. Mm -hmm. And a band that we love, the only band that matters, went from putting out Give Him Enough Rope, which I indicated on our Clash episode, really is my favorite mm -hmm. Clash record. But that leads into London Calling in 79, and that's what we're talking about, that period from early 78 into 79, what's going on in there. And one of your favorite figures in punk rock and rock and roll, Johnny Rotten's in the middle of it with Public Image Limited. Yep, because of the chaos of the uh, Sex Pistols, that dude, he was like, yeah. what the hell am I going to do? And Keith Levine, which we spoke about in the Clash episode, ended up putting together Public Image Limited with him. And Keith Levine ended up leaving in 84 or so because of his heroin issues. But they made a statement at the very beginning. And their impact, I mean, I'm surprised that Johnny was able to rebound so quickly. But it shows you also that he was more than just a little spastic, quirky kid on speed. Hey, how'd you like that picture I sent? of you of a young John Lydon. <laughs> he looks almost exactly the same today, but fatter. <laughs> That's exactly right. He definitely looks heavier than he did. Uh, but, but they're the right same. in there, man. But Seriously. Bill's right in there. They're right in there delivering, you know, and helping to turn the corner, be part of the next wave. They were part of the, the first wave. Now they're going to be part of the next wave. Mm -hmm. And other bands would jump in there, too. You know, we talked about the Dead Boys, who didn't last long enough to really become much more. Per Ubu's in there and the x-ray specs i remember them mm -hmm. we're gonna jump into the likes of like elvis costello joe jackson That's the cars the police who actually made alternative crossover to the mainstream these are the bands who really brought the attention of the alternative sound and made it i guess as radio people would say safe enough to play on mainstream radio you know we're using that word but blondie flipped over to very mainstream the talking head started yep. getting mainstream Elvis radio did play. too, the cars. All these yep. things were different sounds that weren't being accepted at first. And we talked about college radio. When it comes to change like that, commercial radio is often slower to embrace the new stuff. I, I see there you see places and certain stations even back then where that wasn't the case where people were helping early on recognizing something that was really strong or solid and getting on board. But an artist like Elvis Costello was somebody who had My Aim Is True out and, Rave reviews. and was trying to get into the U.S. and in the meantime he's making this year's model which comes out in March of 78 and Marcus, I gotta tell you, here's the first side because they're all you know Ellis did a lot of great short songs you start with no action right great mm. song and it pops into this year's girl one of his, I think one of his finest songs I love that written. song the beat which is kind of like that quirky you know Pete's kind of playing the, mm. the Farfisa sound and mm -hmm. uh, pump it up of course an anthem little triggers kind of changes the tone and you belong to me mm -hmm. uh, to wrap up side one of this year's model and and then when you flip it over you also get songs like I don't want to go to Chelsea and lip service 
because I love that song. These are songs that, like, when you put it together with you know the first record and all the great songs that are on there, then he comes back in '79 with Armed Forces, delivered <sighs> by the way the same day as Joe Jackson's "I'm the Man," which is crazy to think about because I thought Joe came out in '78, but no, it was that mm-hmm. early in '79. And he continues to have great songs one after another while skirting some of the uh, social and racial issues of the time and some of his uh, faux pas in that with songs like Accidents Will Happen and Senior Service, Oliver's Army, The Quirky Green Shirt and Moods for Modern. Two Little Hitlers. You know, that's on the in the first side, I think, or somewhere on the second side. Yeah. I've been looking at all these records for the first time in a while, Marcus, yep. and it's all these things kind of speak to the mood in England for sure, because mm-hmm. that's pretty much where Elvis was based back then. And on the U.S. version of Armed Forces, they released What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, which was a Nick Lowe B-side to the Great American Squirm versus they took another song off of the album, um, and I can't remember which one they took off the top of my head, but they switched them out like they did, and that was common practice where they would release the album with one or two different songs on the American version versus the European version, and this was common, and it's still even practiced today, but that That's album... That's why you have that gatefold armed forces that you were telling me about yep. before we started recording today. Yep, and we'll put that on the promo video. If you've seen our promo video online, you'll have seen us unfold that gatefold album, Armed Forces, which is the British one without What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. When they went into the studio, and if you listen to the songs, you'll understand why what I'm about to tell you is, is the original working title of the album Armed Forces was called Working Fascism. I did not know that. Always learning here on the Imbalanced History and, of Rock and Roll. Well, you know what went on during that time? That was the period of time when Elvis made the comment about Ray Charles and Bonnie Bramlett, knocked him on his ass uh, mm-hmm. for saying it. And he realized that, that whatever the case might have been in England where he came from, it wasn't going to be acceptable behavior here in the United States. And Elvis Costello has transcended way beyond that. Mm-hmm. Then. But as Armed Forces is coming out, they put on tickets to see him at the Tower Theater. It's going to be, I think, at that point, his biggest show in Philadelphia. My buddy Metal Mike and my wife Barb at the time, we went down. We camped out in line at the old electric factory office on Lombard or Locust Street in Philly all night with a whole bunch of other freaks waiting to get our tickets. We were in the third row. He comes out, you know, all dressed the way he dressed in a suit and all that when he's got sunglasses on. Well, because you realize he still had the bruises on his eye from where Bonnie Bramlett had knocked him, you know, on his ass. And that wasn't that long before that. And he knew that he had made the statement and he was cringing when he did. I want to bite the hand that feeds me on Radio Radio. Mm-hmm. He was cringing because he knew what he was saying and singing and how ironic it was that people weren't throwing stuff at him, you know, in a city like Philadelphia where mm-hmm. that shit ain't flying ever. Philly don't mess around and people learn that the hard way sometimes. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Nick Lowe and he figures prominently in this and for me in my uh, pre-commercial radio days mm-hmm. with two albums, Jesus of Cool and Labor of Lust. Oh. I love the sound of Breaking Glass. I just can't get enough of that song. I could hear it all the time and sometimes I just put on Spotify or go find the album and listen to it. And another one from that record and so it goes. And, and these are Nick Lowe at his best, I think. And Labor of Lust just builds on that with Cruel to be Kind. That Switchbox, Susan. And American Squirm. American Squirm and Cruel to be Kind are the two songs that I remember the most from those early days with that record. I just remember those hooks catching me and 
never letting me go. And to this day, every time I hear those songs, I get excited. Even to this day, How they're that not? good. How can you Seriously. not get worked up over those songs? I have a best of Nick that I listen to all the time. And I get that not everybody gets it. So when I put it on, like, not that we've had company in a while. But <laughs> when you have company over and you put that on, everybody goes, what's that? Go, yeah. oh, okay, I'll go put on something else. It's kind of like putting uh, on Warren Zevon. It can be. Depending upon the crowd, I suppose. Hey, you know what? We're talking about Joe Jackson. He puts out Look Sharp and really makes an impression because he's got this punk rock kind of semi-punk rock showman attitude, but he's dressed really in that zoot suit with the trademark white shoes, right? Yes. Very influenced by reggae and almost like a, a more stylish mod, I guess you could say. Well, you talk about reggae influencing him. He would have influence on heavy metal, believe it or not, with Anthrax, who would later cover his song Got the Time. I know. From that first record. Unbelievable. And also, Look Sharp is the album that began his music relationship with the guy who's been with him the longest over his career, bass player Graham Maybe, who is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bass player. And he's in full effect on songs like One More Time, <sighs> Sunday Papers. <sighs> course the big one everybody knows is she really going out with him but you know you and i we love songs like happy loving couples and throw it away and then you go to the second record comes in by the end of the year i'm the man it's different for girls sharp dress punk mm-hmm. and uh i saw joe once at the spectrum which is where they they turned him sideways and by then he'd already developed the rep as a as kind of cranky guy and <laughs> it was great because the show was awesome and he was cranky and everybody went home hangry you know yeah. half happy half angry <laughs> <laughs> he was the, he was that way when I saw him in the mid '80s as well. Kind of a curmudgeon. Get off my lawn! I'm only forty, but get off my lawn! Don't you come near my stage! I was kind of blown away by it, be honest to see it in person. But another figure who continued to do all different kinds of music, like Elvis Costello has, as they, uh, ironic, they released on the same day in 1979, but they continued to do different things through their careers. A band I kind of forgot that was right in the middle of this from New Zealand, Split Ends. Remember them? Of course I remember the Split Ends. Songs like Six Months on a Leaky Boat, God, I Can't Believe I'm Drawing a Blank. I Got You was their big radio hit. If I'm not mistaken, that was in 80s song. In fact, Icy Red or Six Months in a Leaky Boat was a song that one of their songs from those early days got them banned by the BBC as well for pissing off the BBC because they took a shot at the BBC. But yeah, the Finn brothers, Neil and Tim Finn, who later became Crowded House. And and one of them's in Fleetwood Mac, right? Now. Yep. Their, I really their want story. to talk about the cars. I'm, I'm like holding back. I, I really want to talk about the cars because that debut album is a masterpiece. And the way that the band and Roy Thomas Baker crafted it together the way the song slowed together. There wasn't any question about run order on a lot of it because it was just naturally flowing from one song to the next through pretty much three quarters of the album. Oh God. When those first two Cars albums came out, especially that first one, I was 11, 12 years old and... Were you wanking to the cover of Candio? No, I don't think I was wanking to the cover <laughs> of Candio. I think we'd already found Playboy and Hustler and uh, Wee by then. Remember yeah, Wee? Wee, 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 I remember wee. But in all seriousness, again, we talk about listening to the album all the way through. That first Cars album, I wore the grooves out in my vinyl big time from listening to it so many times. Never skipped songs, never uh, stopped playing it. Always made sure that I at least listened to the whole side all the way through without, you know, missing a beat because there's not a bad song on the album. The way the album's put together, every song 
song flows so perfectly into each other. And, and just, Greg Hawk's keyboard sounds uh, tie it all together. All the different parts and, and places they come from. When you think about it on songs like Let's Go and It's All I Can Do and Dangerous Type on Candio, mm. there's Greg Hawk making that whole thing flow. And even more so on the, the natural combos on the first record. The flow from moving in stereo to all mixed up is just off the hook, which is why a lot of rock and, and roll right radio too, stations play those two together. Yeah. And it's almost like if you play moving in stereo without all mixed up, people get pissed off and you've mm-hmm. committed a music mm-hmm. crime of the worst felonious level if you don't play those two together. It would be like playing uh, Heartbreaker, Live and Love and Mate. It's like those two, not playing those two back to back. Or um, Speak to Me and Breathe. Or, we got a million. You know what? Yeah. We should do an episode about those songs. The yeah, Natural those songs, Doubles. The Natural them. Doubles. You're right. You know who doesn't have a Natural Double? Who? The Police. But man, their first two records in 78 and 79, they're right in there in that same time period with the Cars and Elvis Costello and all the other bands that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And they put out a couple records that totally add something. They didn't change everything. They just added something really great with songs like Next to You and So Lonely, Roxanne, mm-hmm. Can't Stand Losing You, Message in a Bottle, Bring on the Night. All my life. Moon. Truth Ooh. hits everybody. Those first two albums are incredible. And again, like the Cars, the Police, Elvis Costello, Joe Jackson helped cross the alternative music over and bring its attention to the mainstream of people and get people to really sort of explore into the alternative vein because of these bands. They started coagulating. These bands along with the Talking Heads and Blondie are those bands that made the crossover. Yep. And like we've said in the Chris France book, Blondie and the Talking Heads were new wave before there was new wave. And it makes total sense because they were doing this while punk was exploding right next to them at CBGB's with the Dead Boys and the Ramones and all of those bands. And Blondie's another one. They come out with plastic letters and parallel lines and then go big time with E to the Beat at the end of this period we're talking about in the next wave of rock and roll coming out at the end of the 70s here. Gang of Fours Entertainment is in there too and you love Gang of Four. Huge Gang of Four fan. I remember an older friend of mine, Craig Watson, turned me on to this album. He was like, dude, you gotta check this album out. And he let me borrow his copy and then I went to Wax Tracks and bought it. It is so good. The first song I ever heard from that album is I Found That Essence Rare and those crunchy guitars and that rebellious tone in their voices and they were all very politically active and aware because England being closer to everything that happened in World War II and getting the shit bombed out of them by Germany really felt post-World War II depression and they felt the rise of fascism coming up in the underbelly of the disenchanted youth and after experiencing it in the 40s they were like hell no this is not going to stop so you see all of this political angst as well as these bored youths getting drunk and violent because they can't get jobs and there's no work and there's nothing for them to do so they went to art school and formed bands because that's what they did but then you have songs like Damaged Goods and Not Great Men and Anthrax and this album was such a huge influence on Flea that Andy Gill produced the first Red Hot Chili Peppers record with True Men Don't Kill Coyote. Another band that I know you and I love is The Specials because I was doing college or pre-commercial radio, you know, I was doing the non-com thing for a while and they're one of the bands that came along just at the right time for me and all that. You get a message to you, Rudy, stop your messing around, their version of Toots and the Maytals, Monkey Man, Prince Buster's Too Hot, and a lot of their own stuff, a lot of which had a political tone 
own. But for me, it tied together with groups like Madness and uh, One Step Beyond was something that was big right around the time I was making the transition from Warminster to the college stations. Squeeze, actually, on their first couple records, I forgot how much of a punky reggae edge they had to a lot of their stuff with mm-hmm. the first record produced by John Cale and, uh, you know, Cool for Cats, There's that cool ska punk ethic, you know, yeah. in there with Squeeze. And those things all kind of tied together for me then. They're different now, but back then they would all felt the same because I guess it was because the time period. Think about the power of reggae music. You heard it in the punk scene and you heard it in the post-punk scene with mm-hmm. all of these bands. The Clash, you hear it in. I mean, you hear it in Squeeze. We've heard it in all of the other bands. The Police are a very fast reggae, punky sound. So you hear it in the British music, but it also shows you the influence of the ska, the rock steady, and the uh, reggae on British culture and British life. And True. But mixed with the soul and the blues, it's a really interesting combo. Squeeze was Difford Tilbrook and Holland, Jules Holland, who has become well-known. And then he left and Paul Carrick replaced him. But you're right about those first two records with Slap and Tickle, Up the Junction, Goodbye Girl, Cool for Cats. All those were singles. Me, I'm yours. Yep. Bang Bang was another single. Sex Master, I remember from the debut record. The Call. They had good tunes. They weren't great tunes, but they set them up for what they were going to do moving forward with uh, Black Coffee in Bed and some of those other great songs that they released in the height of the New Wave movement in the 80s or the Alternative movement. And boy, they wrote some good songs. Simple Minds was in there too. They had uh, their their Life in a Day in 78 and Real to Real Cacophony in 79. That's when they started to be a band that people were talking about, even though their hits and their real explosion would come more later. That's where they started to make their mark. I remember hearing, uh, I think it was New Gold Dream was the first record Waterfront or Up on the Catwalk was the first song that I had heard from them and I really liked it but then I didn't really start learning about them until The Breakfast Club and that movie being such an important teen movie in my time period of course you know that's when I really started learning about them do you want to jump into The Cure now? you always want to jump into The Cures they released their first album which in the US in 1980 was called Boys Don't Cry but in the UK and in Europe they released an album called Three Imaginary Boys and it's an album that really matters because it's one of the early goth records and one of the bands that's credited to really developing the goth movement and some of those early songs like Accuracy, Grinding Halt which was the very first Cure song I heard and I could not believe what it was. Another Day Object Subway song. They do a very interesting cover of Jimi Hendrix's Foxy Lady. 10.15 on a Saturday night, you know some other songs. Fire and Kyra it's not you three imaginary boys which is a song that i really really like because it's so weird it's like this weird story that doesn't make sense but the music is so good and then they sort of evolved a little bit re-recorded a bunch of songs and we got boys don't cry which is the one that really got them noticed in the united states i was talking before about music coagulating briefly that's what you're seeing here the cure coagulated with itself right they reconnoitered a little bit and they come back at you and that's because they felt something just like you're saying about different a seed of goth if not the first seed of goth right you didn't really see much about this dark gloomy kind of sound you know taking a different approach in a different way i don't know what the key signatures thing is with it but they were the first one to do it and there are a ton of others have 
really kind of followed on their coattails. But when you look at it, The Cure are amongst the first bands that you can call alternative. As all these different bands that we've been talking about, coagulating with each other and between the different pools of talent, people getting to know each other as they move forward and make their first couple records, and it all starts coming together, then you're looking at a band like The Cure. And, you know, we start looking at bands that come right after this. As all as it's moving into 79, 80, 81, there's still a lot of shit going on, mm-hmm. man. There's going to be a lot of shit going on. And just like we talked about 73 and 74 affecting the punk explosion, you know, a year or so later, mm-hmm. the same thing's about to happen with alternative music becoming mainstream. And there's evidence of it as we go forward here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And in the timeline, one of our favorites comes up in there too. They were yet to be discovered by either one of us, but U2 is already recording and releasing with the three EP featuring 11 o'clock TikTok, a fan favorite still to this day, even though it never was technically, I'm doing the quotes thing, a big hit. And they find their toehold in the very beginning for them in the middle of what we're talking about as the next wave of bands that are going to change. They're coagulating each other. They're little groups within the whole thing. And little by little, the tribes are getting to rub up against and blend with each other and cross over a little bit. And you start to see the formation of what people look at as alternative music, alternative rock, because it's not like everything else. It's not paying attention to the rules that a lot of other people went by, especially the people who are dominating the charts in 78 and 79, like we talked about. And that's where the next wave comes from. And that's why the next wave hits. It's a wave of thirst with me, Marcus. And I feel a dire need to go down to Crooked Eye Brewery and uh, Heart of Hapro and have a cold one. How about you? I'm so parched, and I know for the second half of this, we're going to need this nice, energetic refreshment to keep talking. Well, I know what'll quench my thirst, and probably yours too, buddy. And that's a nice cold pint from Crooked Eye Brewery right there in the heart of Hatboro at York and Montgomery. They're easy to find, and when you get there, you're never going to want to leave. Oh, that place is such a great hangout. The beer's all really good. The staff is fantastic. The music is good. They even have yeah, vinyl nights. You host some of those vinyl nights where people bring their vinyl and throw down some great jams on vinyl, and you hear the hissing and popping over the loudspeakers while you're enjoying those beers well the music has returned to crooked eye and people have returned to crooked eye but don't forget to mask up and that's necessary under state regulations the guys at the pub are taking care to follow the governor's regulations and you can keep up with not only what's going on there but all the music and all the activities going on and you can check out the online open mic they've got a page too it's all about Crooked Eye on Facebook. Their Facebook presence is fantastic, and they definitely do a great job at keeping people in the know as far as what's going on with Crooked Eye. Well, word is that Jeff is brewing up the favorites, and that's what people want to hear. Go in and see what's on the board and have a nice, frosty, delicious summer pint. Pick it up at Crooked Eye right in the heart of Hatboro. Crooked Eye, supporting us here on the podcast and serving the cure for what ails you since 2014. Hey, Ray, since it's been so hot out, you've been doing a lot of yard work like myself. How you feeling? I'm hot. I also realize that when you're out there and you're bending around in different positions, you're getting down on your knees. The fact is, I'm feeling it a little bit and I could use some CBD. And I'll tell you what, one CBD is really showing me that they know what to do when it comes to taking care of helping people with pain. Everything from soft gels to oils to gummies and salves and balms. And it's all online 
1CBD.com. I like the fact that they're organically grown. They are third-party lab tested. They are consciously created. It is made in the USA. I personally like the gummies because I have a sweet tooth. It's all 100% organic. It's all made the best way with the best strains. And that's what's important when you're choosing a CBD product. And one of the many great things about their website that he has full disclosure so that you too can read up about it and find out what may work best for you. He personally had to find something that worked for him because of his medical issues and Ty's story is right on the website. And if you go there, they'll give you 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE at 1CBD.com. That's 1CBD. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. Recoup back on the imbalance history of rock and roll, feeling refreshed and ready to set my partner loose on a bunch of bands that he's been wanting to talk about on our little dive into the next wave in the late 70s here on the podcast. So, what you got, bro? I want to talk about a band called The Damned. They were the first UK punk band to release a single in the United States, release an album in the United States, and tour the United States as far as English punk bands go. They were pre-goth goth. Lemmy actually played bass at a bunch of their live shows in 78, which is pretty awesome because Lemmy was that bridge between metal and punk that that really strong foundation of a bridge. Basically, the first two albums they released in 77, they broke up in 78, they reformed with a couple of new members, released Machine Gun Etiquette on Stiff Records in 1979, and New Rose, their first single, set the tone for who this band was after they re-envisioned themselves. In their first two albums, which were produced by Nick Lowe and Nick Mason, they were good, but they weren't what the band wanted, and I think they had some issues and ended up breaking up, reforming. And then, of course, we got Machine Gun Etiquette, which has Love Song, Smash It Up, I Just Can't Be Happy Today. There's a great MC5 cover on there called Looking At You. One of the B-sides they released was a cover of Ballroom Blitz. They also did a B-side cover of White Rabbit. Their first real gig was July 6, 1976, opening up for the Sex Pistols. One of the things that I think we thought was one of the funniest things about this band growing up was Rat Scabies got his name because as a kid he had scabies and at one point he was scratching himself and one of his friends said what are you doing what's the matter he said i have scabies and at that point a rat ran across the floor right in front of him so he became rat scabies that's how he got his name that's how he got his name rat scabies and it held in his music career and i don't listen to a ton of the damned but i do get in the mood for him once in a while and you hear in some of their songs that early oh goth feel that you hear hear from some of the uh, vocalists from like Joy Division and you hear that influence in their sound and one of those important bands that never made huge commercial success but had huge underground success and had huge influential success on bands down the line and they're one of the bands that really helped move us into the 80s. Another band that didn't last very long and kind of like the Dead Boys blew up and didn't do themselves right was the X-Ray Specs. The X-Ray Specs were front by a female named Polly Cyrene. She was the first female fronted punk band in the UK to play with the big boys. She was. I just liked her name. I know the X-ray spec and Polly Cyrene. I know it's really it's like it's a great Polythene name. Pam, you know, it's funny. She was a punk who wore day glow. Basically, she 
had cool. that day glow brightness, but they had a lot of issues with their workout. It's kind of like they burned hard, burned bright, and quickly faded. And the reason the x-ray specs happened is because polystyrene on her 19th birthday, July 3rd, 1976, saw the Sex Pistols play and was like, oh my God. A few months earlier, she had cut a pop single and this completely changed her world was that Sex Pistols show in 1976. And then they got back together in the 90s. She passed away a while back, but she was again in the UK, the first of the female fronted bands to play with the big boys in the punk scene and in that alternative underground post-punk scene. Well, when I was in the uh, punk scene, as it were, the post-punk scene, uh, the next wave, the new wave, all in my uh, pre-commercial radio days, I was working at a series of uh, non-coms in uh, college stations. And uh, I love the Endori and the Blockheads, I can tell you that. They they are a band that just, you know, didn't last forever, but they had a following. They did really well for a while. Guy who's continued to work and do studio work and some producing, Gary Newman, and his album The Pleasure Principle, made a big sound in 79, and that started a whole different thing. If you think about the sounds just on cars that are sampled and used out there, his influence continues. One hit wonder like, you know, Nick Gilder, Hot Child in the City, it was hot on the charts, and it was kind of in the neighborhood sonically to what was going on with a lot of these artists that we're talking about. But it was a pop record. Patti Smith hit with Easter and really put her on the map for everybody, even though she was already, you know, the queen of the underground in New York in a lot of ways. You mentioned uh, The Jam, I think. Yes. And th- they had a couple records in there that helped to propel what they're about. Per Ubu, mm-hmm. uh, Dub Housing, Wire, Chairs Missing. You know, it, it did didn't do big, but people from that band influenced other bands. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about it earlier during the break. XTC arrives, and nobody's quite sure what to do with these fellas, you know? They're rather cheeky. And... They were actually called a low-budget talking heads at one point early in their career. I never heard that, but... I read it in an interview that one of them was talking about, and I, I'm trying to find it in my notes here. And we mentioned XTC before. Drums and Wires hits in 79, and nobody He's really too sure what to do with this band. They're very different. The first taste most people get, probably for you too, is making plans for Nigel. And I just went, hmm, this is interesting. They ran a, f- a foul of the BBC because of the song uh, Difficulty Standing. You know, talking about having a boner and not being able to stand around a woman because he gets aroused every time he's near. I mean, it was out there. I don't know if they were playing it on the BBC, but they were giving him shit about it because it was out there. And part of the roots of New Wave. I think that's one of the first records that says, hey, this is a little bit different too. More like a new wave to come rather than the next wave. One of the problems with XTC was that they didn't do a lot of live shows because Andy Partridge had wicked stage fright. So it was very hard for him to get on stage but I remember making plans for Nigel I also really didn't get into them as much until the English Settlement album which was in the 80s and when they really got their heyday as kind of like a Steely Dan studio band of the alternative scene where they were putting out these albums but not doing a lot of live shows because Andy couldn't do it. You know what was cool about that period though? You would go through get the new record and you'd listen to it and after a couple months when you might be starting to think well when's the new record coming 
coming out from a lot of bands. You knew you were just beginning to wait. And they really, by the time they would get to release the next record, each time it became quite an event for the fans. And the fan base of the band obviously grew despite the fact that they weren't touring. Very much. Looking back to hearing uh, English Settlement going back and getting white music and go to and buying vinyl of drums and wires instead of listening to it at my friend's house. And Steve Lillywhite produced Drums and Wires, and he's the one who really helped change their sound because he gave them that poppy feel that made them more appealing to the masses. And that's why Making Plans for Nigel was a small hit for that band and really uh, made some noise. Primus does a fantastic cover of it, by the way. A fantastic cover of Making Plans for Nigel. Also, another great song on that record, uh, Life Begins at the Hop. Girdle the Globe is a great one. They did an acoustic jam, their first one ever, called Ten Feet Tall, and it was kind of modeled, and you can hear the Cruel to Be Kind vibe in it, which is a Nick Lowe vibe, so it shows you how these musicians all were interconnected. And what you're starting to see, too, are a bunch of different labels starting to emerge. We talked before about Stiff uh, being the home for some. Radar starts to be a label that appears on Elvis Costello records. You've got Sire Records, which starts as an underground label and quickly becomes a major independent, right? And other labels that are you, the two-tone thing you p- had plugged in on your notes, all these different label things start to happen. IRS, which is founded by uh, Stu Copeland's brother, right? Mm-hmm. Miles and, Copeland. Uh, Miles Copeland, who's what a character in rock and roll history. No Miles kidding. Copeland is. Well, he had IRS records, and I think they had CIA management, so that tells you everything you need yep. to no. But all these independent labels and these small labels that became big deals because they had good ears and they found the right people. I mean, them finding REM is almost as large as any of these fines for the other labels. Island. You have to put people. Island on there and you also have to put Chrysalis because of the bands sure. that they put in there. Sure. So. Well, you know what? And Island just keeps doing it and has kept doing it all through uh, the decades since they started doing rock in the 60s. That's so. true. But, you know, you've got all these bands and there's more. You know, you're talking about the influences on Joy Division. There's Joy Division themselves, right? Coming out with unknown pleasures. And there's another one of those seeds of alternative as we know it leading into the 80s. Susie and the Banshees in 78 and 79. The B-52s dropped their self-titled debut and not only fit in on alternative, but also on the pop and rock charts. Rock Lobster was a big crossover on all three of those and still to this day you hear it on pop, you hear it on AC, you hear it on hot AC, you hear it on rock and roll. You hear it on alternative, you hear it on oldies, you hear it on classic rock, you hear it everywhere. Well, that's like another part of the wave, you know, and now you start to get the full picture of what we're talking about. Artists who were there in 74, 5, 6 and debuting in 76 and 77 were coming back with their next records while a whole new round or full spread of artists of all different flavors together kind of being alternative, all making their mark around the same time here in 1978, 78. Which for me was a time of musical discovery as an adult, Marcus. It was really great to be out and seeing some of these bands, playing some of their records on the radio, owning them, going and buying and going to have own music and uh, ordering up the stuff that Joe and Arlene didn't have in, coming back and getting it a couple days later. It was the kind of thing you did because the music drew you to it. However you found it, and it wasn't like today where you had the internet and a million ways to listen. No, you are right. And uh, I still have in my collection almost 
almost all of these albums that we're talking about from 78 and 79. And the way this set up the 80s as far as music is unbelievable. I know you talked about the jam and they're a huge band that had a huge influence on me. All Mod Cons and Setting Suns from that period. Yeah, you talk about them when we're not doing the podcast. I mean, seriously, I really, really like that band. And Paul Weller just released a new album this year, a couple weeks ago. Hit number one. Only one other musician has hit number one in five decades in the United Kingdom. And that other musician is Paul McCartney. So That I believe. Paul Weller is an underrated songwriter. And that trio, the yeah. jam, made so much noise in the 70s. They were a mod punk band influenced by The Who, The Kinks, Motown, and Stax is really the crux of their sound. On the Setting Suns record, they do a cover of Heat Wave, the Dozier, Holland Dozier hit. And it smokes. It fucking smokes. That's why the next wave that we've been talking about matters so much because it helped to propel different kinds of music, all different kinds, all different flavors and, and genres and subgenres forward. I talked earlier in the podcast about things coagulating at a certain point. Well, that'll happen throughout the next few segments on this musical phenomenon, which we all, well, not all, but most of us were around to witness and, and enjoy in the first person at the time. So as it's all coming together, there's also bands that are starting to come out that are making a difference both today and as this whole story moves forward. Like this set of bands we're talking about now, they had to play a few years, develop their chops in the club scene before the labels would sign them and take a chance yeah. on them. Yeah. So a lot of these bands that we're going to be propelling into the 80s that we're forming now and recording in 80, 81, and 82 were playing the CBGBs, the Maxes of Kansas City, the uh, Herman's Hideaway in Denver, the Ogden all Theater the in Denver, clubs, all these man. underground clubs all over the nation in their vans, building up their audiences, building up their bases, working on their chops, getting that stuff together, working on their songwriting and propelling forward. The Germs released their only album, GI, in 1979. May have been the very first hardcore punk album ever released. Lexicon Devil and Sex Boy, two of the songs from that record that really helped propel. You had X grooming their chops on the West Coast, 76, 77, before they released this blistering, amazing debut produced by Ray Manzarek called Los Angeles. So had the seeds of the Bad Brains and Black Flag and Circle Jerks and the Dead Kennedys, bands like that. Oh, yes. And, you know, who else? The Plasmatics, the Cramps yeah. were moving their sound. Uh, Social Distortion, I think, formed in 1979 and then didn't release a few albums until the mid-80s, 85, 86. Just like we'd seen five years prior. Just yep. like we'd seen five years prior. They're reloading. And it's interesting because... Bands that had more of a straight-ahead poppy feel or a straight rock and roll feel would get signed a lot easier at an earlier point in their career than these alternative bands who people were like, well, I don't know if I'm going to take a risk on this band. They sound so different, you know? That left room for the entrepreneurs who had vision and ears to hear what this was and what it might be. And that's why those labels we just talked about all succeeded to whatever level. And more, by the way. There were a lot more, that, and more would come along. Can I talk 
talk to you about what was going on adjacently in 1978-79. When these events unfolded the way they did, melding with all the shit we've been talking about mm-hmm. for the last, I don't know how long I'm on the podcast this week, had a definite effect on where things were going to go for music moving forward together. Point number one, the release of Funkadelic, One Nation Under a Groove. Oh, yeah. Number two, the release of Brian Eno's Music for Airports. Number three, Peter Gabriel, Melt. Number four, Kraftwerk, The Man Machine. See my point? Yes. You take those four releases and what follows there on that lot timeline as they all meld together into the 80s. And it's an exciting time to be following new music. It really is. You know who else we forgot to mention that we need Tell to briefly me. mention? A gentleman named William Broad and his band Generation X released two albums in 78 and 79, which set the tone for him and Steven Stevens to do some pretty amazing stuff together in Thank the you. 80s. Fuckers, when I was on college radio in 1980, they never said hello or gave me a dime. Shame on them. I remember when Billy Idol first came out as a solo artist. My buddy Metal Mike came over to play me the record, and he said, he's the guy from Generation X. And then it all fell together and, you know, connected on. There's Billy a few years later as a solo artist and beyond, being part of the 80s alternative that we're kind of heading towards here on this episode of the podcast. You know, Marcus, we've been talking for a while here and there's somebody that we haven't mentioned kate bush i know we have not mentioned kate bush and her influence not only on women but on the transition from the 70s the time period we're talking about until the 80s is gigantic you know that time period 78 79 her yeah. first two albums came out yet a kick that's inside around the time i saw her on saturday night live for the first time we've talked about that and that was one of her few only american performances because right. of her fear of flying so she didn't come over here very often and no. she didn't do a lot of touring unless it was in Europe but that debut album I remember hearing to be in love and falling in love with that song and then her first number one was her debut single Wuthering Heights which I didn't dig it at first it no, took it, me it, it took me a little time to get it too and, and then, then I had, couldn't stop listening absolutely and then Babushka was really good and she wrote these sort of operatic classical poppy songs and then in her second album quirky she too. yeah very quirky and then she kind of veered away from that in Lionheart but wrote these longer more beautiful uh, ballads and stories and just a very interesting intelligent woman who really really had a lot of impact on so many women moving forward and she wasn't musically right in the pocket with everything else that we've been talking about but she was influential and she did get her start right in that time frame well I tell you what man it was a pretty exciting wave of great new music in a lot of different areas and when you put it all together with what was already going on it really sets the stage for yet another episode of the podcast here where we talk about that burgeoning new wave alternative music and how it all grows and changes and becomes its own part of the business really and also the hardcore punk scene that came out of that because that had the big underbelly with the death of punk rock in the late 70s or i shouldn't say the death of punk rock but punk rock in its very first phase had changed into something completely different and many have branched out from it but hardcore was brewing in the underbelly as we see with that germs record and we see with the bad brains and x and bands like that the dead kennedys all playing clubs all around the nation so you see that change happening as well they're in the underbelly getting ready to explode as the calendar year turns in the 80s start to happen those bands start to happen too they start getting contracts and putting out records and changing other teenage 
teenagers with guitars in garages ideas about what a band can be. And I think that's probably the next phase of this whole uh, wave after wave of great alternative mm-hmm. music that we've been talking about that we'll need to explore here on the podcast, Marcus. That's true. Plus, in a parallel musical world, you have the new wave of British heavy metal developing. You yes, also have you also have rock and roll like Van Halen and ACDC and Aerosmith setting up the hair bands of the 80s. So you have all of this stuff coming together and it looks like from what we see and from what we've talked about in 78 and 79, the 80s are going to be a fucking thrill as far as music goes. And the 70s and the 60s have been great, but the 80s are going to be a fucking thrill. Truth, I think we could take almost a whole year just doing podcasts of what was going on in the 80s musically because there was so much different stuff all at the same time, True. all at a high level, all when the music business and and the artists actually benefiting from the business was all happening at a high level. So I don't know, man, we start doing stuff like that and it's the next thing you know, we're getting the old jacket with the uh, members only with the epaulets and all that crap out of the closet. We start wearing the funny <laughs> 80s style shoes and pants. <laughs> the thin ties. I think, I'd, I think I'll pass the on The piano that, tie. But... <laughs> Well, this has been a lot of fun. Pretty much a geek fest for you and me to uh, sit and talk about all this stuff. Hey, you know what people should do? We always encourage people to give us feedback anywhere you can find us, including our email address, which is imbalancehistory at gmail.com, especially if there's a band or an artist that we missed in what you think is part of this next wave that we've been discussing here on this week's edition of the podcast. Yeah, please, if we forgot any bands or left out any bands that are major players in this time, we know that we're going to make mistakes and we know that we're going to miss bands. Especially talking about time periods like this. We wish that we could give you two or three hours of this, but really? Two or three hours? Oy vey. I think we have to take smaller bites and have more fun with it more often, that's all. And that's what kind of what we've been doing, and uh, we, we'll figure out what we're going to do the next episode and the next episode as we start to head close to 100 episodes of this podcast coming up. Oh, 100 episodes. How'd that happen? I don't know, but boy, the time has flown. These 100 weeks have flown. Thanks to everybody who tunes in and listens every week we find you uh, on the little uh, world application of applicator tells us what the heck is going on out there and we thank you for listening however you're finding us and if you choose to reach out we thank you for that as well we are on Facebook and we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram yet or is that up and running? It is up and running by now yes it is up and running okay he says so so just uh, look for Imbalance History of Rock and Roll wherever you do things uh, wherever you get your podcast and uh, we are part of the Pantheon on Podcast Network and proud to serve working with the guys now for coming up on our uh, second year. It'll start real soon. So a lot of fun here with you this week, buddy, because I can see we can see each other on the uh, the Skype window and I can see you geeking out in a way that makes my heart feel so good. And a time when you need a little fun, you need a little spirit lifted this last little bit, just geeking out about this period in time in rock and roll. That was a whole lot of fun, man. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, your input on all this stuff. You have a passion for the music we've been discussing today. I have a passion for this stuff that's more the teenage enthusiasm of the time where I was like, you know, already getting into my adult years. Even though I never lost my love or passion or learning about it all, this was when you were coming of musical age. And uh, it was great to share with you here on the podcast this week, pal. It was great to revisit these moments because even at my age now, going back and talking about these bands in somewhat of a depth that we did 
not even going into a very deep, you know, hole with these bands still brings out those years in me. So it's easy to kind of flip that switch automatically and go back mm-hmm. to those years and I feel those it. emotions <laughs> again. You saw it happen. So I, I feel it. Does. And it's kind of crazy to be able to flip back like this and, you know, flip that switch and to be able right. to go back and feel those emotions almost as freshly as I did back then when I was hearing all of this new music and studying all of this new music and spending hours listening to it in the basement on the shag carpet, looking at the album covers and reading about these bands, seriously reading Trouser Press magazines and things like that so that I could learn about all these cool new bands that were playing because you know that local newspapers didn't put anything about these bands or stories about these bands in them at that time. So you had to find the rags at the record stores, those little small rags that Any were, we that were roll printed. We find out. Remember? They were roll printed on those things. Yes. yes. Let me type it up on that thing that does multiple copies. I can't remember what they're called. And then they roll it out and then they Give print. Mul- yes. And then they print out like 60 of them and then they staple them all together Dude, and then they I bring them get, to the local record store. The fumes. I can smell <laughs> the fumes. I'm printing it. I'm getting high from it, man. I remember that smell. It's, it's olfactorily stored in my head. Oh, I remember smelling those. Yeah. Hey, did they, the new ones come in today? You can smell the fresh ink. So, And a lot of times anyway. it'll smear the ones they touch. But. And you wonder why we gravitated to punk rock. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode. The, the next wave of rock and roll as we head into the 80s. And whatever we talk about, it's always a fun time to get together. Thanks for sharing this week, pal. Hey, you bet. Thank you for sharing as well. It's always great talking rock and roll with you, no matter what branch of the tree we're standing on or sitting on or hanging on. It's always a blast. And the learning that goes with it is just as fun. So thank you for your time, man. And thank you wherever you are for tuning in. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. We'll catch you next time on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shot? Were they shot? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.